Tonight, anti-racism protesters in the provincial capital call for change. Plus, the search continues on the ground, in the air, and on the water for two people on a plane that may have gone down in the Fraser River. And... It's taxpayer money, obviously, but I think it's a very good investment. The proposal to prevent severe cases of COVID-19 during wildfire season. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Our provincial capital is the scene of the latest anti-racism protest, a rally that began this afternoon at around 4 o'clock at Centennial Square near City Hall has attracted a large crowd. Paul Johnson is in Victoria tonight and joins us live from the rally. Paul. Colleen, once again, British Columbia has seen thousands of people turn out to take a stand against racism and to show their solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Take a look at the crowd behind me here in Centennial Square in Victoria. This has been going on for approximately two hours now, and I would say there are between two and 3,000 people still here. Have a listen to one of the more emotional moments of this a short time ago. So what's been going on so far? Right now we're hearing some music, but what we've been hearing is simply stories from our fellow black Canadians about their experiences. And some of them, I just want to read some of the things we've been hearing about. One man got up and he told his story about how recently here in Canada, he was out driving and was pulled over by the police. And they asked him, where did you get the money to have this car? Um, another woman told us that the father of her child died about 10 years ago in a jail cell in Nova Scotia. She was given no explanation for how he died. We've heard lots of other stories, simple stories about racism at work, racism at school, racism in the communities that these people live in and that they're still experiencing. We spoke with a couple of the organizers before this happened and they've said, like all of the other rallies that have happened in British Columbia, their intent is for this to be entirely peaceful, but they really want to make an impact. Here's a bit of what they had to say. That we matter, <laughs> that our voice matters, and that enough's enough. We can't be okay with being complacent. We can't be okay with what's happening because it's not. And we need to really look into our own privilege and the way that we interact with individuals. It's uh, from a person to person. So, you know, a lot of questions have been raised about these gatherings happening during the time of pandemic. These demonstrations that have been taking place over the past week have actually been the biggest gatherings that have been happening in Western Canada since the pandemic lockdown. And I think the sentiment of people here, and there are some signs here that say this, is that their belief is that racism is a pandemic. And as they saw with the death of George Floyd, it's a deadly pandemic. And just as we use masks and social distancing and a lockdown to fight the COVID pandemic, their method of fighting the racism pandemic is to come out here and to come together. Colleen? Paul, thank you. Black lives matter. Indigenous lives matter. People of color matter. And we stand together to say that today. 
Penticton also held an anti-racism rally today. Hundreds gathering at Gyro Park this afternoon to deliver a message of equality and to fight systemic racism. Most tried to keep their social distance, many wearing masks. Some of those masks bearing messages of support for demonstrators in the U.S. A lot of people do say that there's no racism in Canada, and there is, and people need to educate themselves on that. We're trying to bring awareness and education to, about like not only the stigma, but the subliminal backhanded racism that we deal with constantly. The staring or just watching or being followed around when you walk in a store, anything like that. Let this be the last march! In Montreal, a protest march stretched for several blocks today, thousands filling the downtown streets. Police largely remained on the sidelines during the day. The city's police chief was invited to walk with the crowd, but yesterday that invitation was withdrawn. Later in the evening, officers used tear gas to break up a small group that police claim were throwing rocks and other projectiles. One person was arrested. First responders and search and rescue volunteers are spending a second day looking for any sign of a missing plane that may have plunged into the Fraser River. Jordan Armstrong joins us with the latest. And Jordan, searchers are also looking for two people. They are, Colleen. The Transportation Safety Board confirms the families of those two people have been contacted, but we have not been told their names. The plane was supposed to land at Boundary Bay Airport in Delta at 2 p.m. Saturday, but it never returned. The search is focused on the Fraser River in Maple Ridge, as one witness reported seeing a small white plane, similar in description, fly low over the river and then disappear. That was around 1 p.m. Saturday in the area of Lougheed Highway and 287th Street. Several agencies, including the local fire department, RCMP Air One helicopter, and Vancouver Police Marine Unit, have been searching the river all day, but so far, no sign of the plane. We're hoping for uh, a positive outcome, but at this point we just don't know what we're going to encounter. Either until we find, uh, find some information or uh, the weather changes. Apparently the weather out there right now isn't that great and some of the boats are having uh, a tough time out on the water right now. He adds there was no distress call from that plane before it disappeared. Colleen? Jordan, thank you. A fundraiser has been launched to support three young boys who lost their parents in an apparent senseless act of violence on Salt Spring Island. 41-year-old Jennifer Quinnell died after she was found seriously injured at a property on Fulford Ganges Road. A 48-year-old man was also found dead at the scene of the apparent murder-suicide. Jennifer's family says she had recently left an abusive 18-year marriage with John Quinnell, and was excited for the future with her three young boys. Last Monday, she returned to the family home to grab some belongings and see her horse. John was not supposed to be there, and Jennifer had decided against a police escort because she felt he wouldn't be a threat. But Jennifer's family says her husband hid on the property and ambushed her, shooting her twice before turning the gun on himself. She died en route to hospital. Jennifer's family says John couldn't stand to see her happy, and if he couldn't be happy, neither could she. In 48 hours, a GoFundMe effort has raised $100,000 for the mother described as a gentle and loving friend, daughter, and sister to everyone who knew her. 
A man found murdered in Chilliwack has been identified as 58-year-old Charles Hendy Close. He was known to many in the community. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team says Close led a transient lifestyle and was often seen in downtown Chilliwack. Close's body was found Saturday night just before midnight when police were called to a rear parking lot of a Scotiabank near Yale Road and Princess Avenue. The family of an Abbotsford man is demanding answers from the Saskatchewan Health Authority about the sudden death of their loved one. 20-year-old Samuel Uko was visiting Regina. Late last month, he sought help at a local hospital after going into mental distress. COVID-19 policies meant a relative was denied entry with him. Later that night, he was found dead. Aaron MacArthur has more. Yeah, I need help, bro. I need help, bro. A desperate cry for help. Seemingly unheeded. Samuel Uko wouldn't make another plea. The next day, he was found dead in a Regina lake. For his family, Samuel uh, met everything. He was a happy kid. The young man was laid to rest Saturday in Abbotsford. The football player remembered fondly by everyone who knew him. Take the positives out of it, out of the most negative situations. Uko was in Regina at the end of May when, according to his family, he became paranoid and distant. Struggling with his mental health, his cousin took him to Regina General Hospital. Thanks to COVID-19 restrictions, Samuel had to go in alone. He was discharged a short time later. And his family is convinced if his cousin was by his side, the seriousness of the situation would have been better relayed to staff. He was strong enough to walk into the hospital and tell them, like, I need help. Uh, we don't know that he left by himself. They told him to leave. What happened? From the ER, Samuel went back to the family home. He later slipped out undetected and was found the next day in Wascana Park. His cell phone and clothing piled at the side of the lake. Saskatchewan health officials are investigating the incident. Health policy has since been amended to allow people with mental health issues to have assistance inside the ER. And we're working with the family to answer their questions around that investigation. Uko's family is pushing the Saskatchewan government for answers, hoping his death will prevent other vulnerable people from having to deal with their health on their own during the pandemic. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Health Canada is recalling some hand sanitizers because of their ingredients. They contain chemicals that may not be approved for use in hand sanitizers, including industrial-grade ethanol. Officials say it could result in dry skin, causing irritation or cracking. The recalled products include Eltraderm, Gel 700, Sani Labs and Walker Emulsions hand sanitizers. If you bought any of them, stop using them immediately and return them to a local pharmacy for proper disposal. Many restaurants in B.C. are taking advantage of new rules allowing temporary patios in order to accommodate physical distancing so they can stay in business. But one Vancouver restaurant that's been waiting two years for a patio permit has been denied even now. Grace Key has the story. Things were looking up for Como Taperia. They hired 10 more staff and extended their hours when they heard they were going to get approved for a temporary patio. But now the $3,500 in new furniture sits empty. It was only on Friday that we heard that the application had been denied. 
So unfortunately, that means we have to close. The Mount Pleasant restaurant applied to the city of Vancouver's expedited patio program. It helps businesses impacted by COVID get a permit within a couple of days for patios on public property. The owner says a city template showed the area is on public property. This land is uh, partly on private property, but uh, the, the city of Vancouver has what you call a, a strategic right of way over the use of this property. So ultimately, the city of Vancouver has ultimate and final decision over what happens with this use. It does sound a little complicated, and I think this is when you get into multi-use around when you have land that uh, serves multiple purposes, and that's why we require a bylaw change. But again, I've spoken to uh, connected with staff this weekend, and I'm really confident that they understand the urgency, and they're going to move as quickly as they can. The City of Vancouver is working on expanding the program to offer temporary patios on private property. Since the program started on Monday, they've had 46 applications, 14 have been approved, and three are on private property. Right now we need action and we need to open. Every day means time. We only have three months of summer in Vancouver. For now, the restaurant is back to its market-to-go and online orders. It's reopening, now hanging on the approval of its 16-seat patio area. Grace Key, Global News. Almost one-third of B.C. students returned to class part-time last week. The Education Ministry says more than 157,000 kids, or about 30% of kindergarten through grade 12 students, went back to school when optional part-time in-class instruction began on June 1st. Most students hadn't been back since before the March break. Under the new protocol, children can return to class half-time, while kids from grades 6 through 12 can return one day per week. Class capacity can reach up to 50% for the younger group, 20% for older kids. Starting tomorrow, a stretch of Victoria's Government Street will become a pedestrian priority zone. The popular tourist street will be closed to vehicle traffic from Fort to View Street, with the exception of deliveries. The city also plans to reduce Government Street to a single lane between Humboldt and Yates and discourage through traffic. The changes are intended to boost physical distancing and increase the space available for patios as businesses recover from COVID-19. As we head towards wildfire season, experts say smoke would likely increase the death rate from COVID-19. So BC is considering purchasing air purification systems to help provide cleaner air in wildfire-affected communities. Kristen Robinson reports. BC is bracing for a wildfire season where smoke could flare up the chances of getting hit hard by COVID-19. Experts say elevated air pollution doubled the risk of death during the 2003 SARS outbreak, possibly the closest thing to the novel coronavirus. Um, the virus is very similar, different but very similar, and certainly similar enough that we have the same concerns. While vulnerable populations are most at risk, it means even those who would otherwise contract a mild or asymptomatic case may fare worse. We now know that wildfires and other types of smoke, when inhaled, increases the risk of not only getting COVID-19, but getting very severe forms of COVID-19 that leads to ICU uh, emissions and even death. The province now looking at bringing cleaner air to communities affected by wildfire smoke. The Public Safety Ministry requesting information on the cost of purchasing air purifiers with high-efficiency particulate air or HEPA filters, which can cover a 200 to 400 square foot space in homes or shelters. It'll scrub the air from about 400,000 particles per cubic foot down to zero particles per cubic foot. When the air quality is extremely poor with a lot of particulate matters 
And having an air purifier at home will cleanse the air, will filter out all the particulate stuff up to 99.9%. In 2017, 1.2 million hectares burned, displacing more than 65,000 during the longest state of emergency in B.C. history. More than 1.3 million hectares burned in 2018, the largest number on record. This summer, with the impact of all that smoke complicated by a pandemic, lung experts say clearing the air is worth it. We've done so well with uh, COVID so far that we really don't want to set back. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The imminent danger of widespread flooding in the interior and Kootenays may have receded for now, but the risk of localized flooding remains in some areas of the Okanagan. Jules Knox has the latest from Enderby, where some now have an unwanted water view. I couldn't believe it the first time I saw it like this. Like... For about a week, the street in front of Karen Brenai's Enderby home has been turned into a lake. We have double waterfront property because we have a lake in front too now. Out the back of Brenai's house near Base Avenue and Riverdale Drive, the swiftly moving Shuswap River creeping up the lawn. Because the river's high, at the back we have seepage that comes up here in this low road. And so when the river's very high, we get this lake forming here. Local resident Don Schaffhauser mopping up seepage into his basement, something he says he's gotten used to over the years. It's very strange when you're sitting here watching the river come up and you know it's going to get into your basement eventually and when the rain comes it's really not very pleasant. It's uh, nerve-wracking. I would say it's about three feet deep. Neighbours frustrated with drivers ignoring the barricades and driving through the deep water. We hope that people are respectful because it does wash away property and, and leave a mess if you go racing through it as well as you can damage your vehicle. On Friday, this driver learning a costly lesson. They try and run through it, and then their their engine gets flooded. So then they, so last yesterday they got stuck for about an hour waiting for a tow truck. Officials say the Shuswap River appears to have peaked on Wednesday, and that the water levels are receding. While there is some rain still in the forecast, the city doesn't expect the river to rise any higher. But the region is still under a high stream flow advisory because of flooding in localized areas like this one. Jules Knox, Global News, Enderby. Turning now to our top story, thousands in Victoria joining the global chorus for racial equality and justice following the death of George Floyd. Paul Johnson joins us live again from Centennial Square near downtown Victoria. Paul. Colleen, we're in the midst of hearing a very gripping performance of the dark and tragic song Strange Fruit about the lynching of black Americans in the South. You know, if you've been watching these demonstrations across Canada and you've been wondering who's turning out to these, let's take a look, Clayton, we're going to zoom in here. You can see as the demonstrations we saw in Vancouver, this is majority a young person's crowd. Most of the people who have been turning out are under the age of 30. They are of all races. There's a handful of people who are middle-aged and up, but this is mostly young people. We've got between probably two and 3,000 people who've turned out here in Victoria and so far, mostly we've been hearing stories of our fellow black Canadians and some of the forms of racism that they encounter on a daily basis at work, in their communities, when dealing with police. Many of us probably 
don't hear these stories often, probably because these people are just getting on with their lives and they don't talk about it. But this has been an important moment for us to hear about this. The organizers said they wanted this to be a peaceful demonstration. It has been so far. Here's a bit about their hopes and what they were trying to achieve for today. To just like see the support from my black family. I'm gonna call you guys family because this is just, it's just so beautiful. I just. Although we are in a pandemic, health pandemic, we have been experiencing racism for years. That pandemic has been real for years. And it's time to stop. It's time to stop. Having another chant of Black Lives Matter here. One important thing that I think is worth mentioning that I've seen in every one of the demonstrations that I've covered so far is the inclusion of First Nations in these. Usually uh, they're involved at the very outset of these demonstrations doing a welcoming ceremony. And of course, I think it's safe to say that uh, they're a big dimension of this protest movement here in Canada. Obviously, they view themselves as a group that has continued to experience racial oppression here in Canada. Colleen? Paul, thank you. And we want to take you to a live shot of the demonstration in Hollywood, California, where people have turned out in droves, as you can see. That is just a portion of the people who are protesting. I believe this is along a stretch of, if not on, Hollywood Boulevard near it. Um, one of the rallying cries that we are hearing now is to defund the police. Supporters saying that it, it isn't about eliminating police departments, but a chance to properly address systemic problems in policing. And that's a call that's being echoed around the world tonight. Tonight, calls for change spreading across the United States and around the world. Think about a new beginning and a new tomorrow. In Washington, D.C., for 8 minutes 46 seconds, thousands of protesters lying down across the Black Lives Matter plaza in memory of George Floyd. In New York City, demonstrators swarm Times Square. NBC's Yasmin Vesugian is there. All right, so I'm standing just below Times Square, below 42nd Street. Thousands of folks gathered here. The police are uptown of us, protesting peacefully here, demanding racial justice. In Denver, protesters marched across the Capitol. In Austin, thousands cried, no justice, no peace. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, demonstrators closing down a bridge. Stand against racism. And at the NASCAR Speedway, a moment of silence for racial justice. Today, anger at police brutality spread across the globe. Protests in Rome, Madrid, and Osaka, Japan. In Dortmund, Germany, soccer players take a knee. And in London, protesters gathered near the U.S. Embassy. NBC's Sarah Harmon is there talking to demonstrators. We need to integrate and work as a community to dismantle the system and rebuild it. But for protesters this weekend, investigations are not enough. Overnight in Seattle, flashbangs and pepper spray fired after police say several officers were injured by improvised explosives. And police dispersed protesters in Portland. In New York, protests interrupted when a car drove through a small crowd. The driver was later arrested to cheers. And in Richmond, Virginia, a Confederate statue pulled from its pedestal. 
Yet today near the White House, prayers amidst the protest. At St. John's Episcopal Church, site of a now infamous presidential photo op, people gathered for Sunday service. Protesters stood in solidarity, capping off a weekend full of symbolism for a nation perhaps forever changed. Protesters tore down a statue of a 17th century slave trader in England today during a Black Lives protest. The statue of Edward Colston, which has been in Bristol's city center since 1895, was rolled through the streets as protesters clapped and cheered. Protesters then dragged the statue down to the wharf and threw it in the river. British street artist Banksy has created a new piece of art in light of George Floyd's death. It shows the U.S. flag being set on fire by a candle that forms part of a memorial to an anonymous black silhouetted figure. People of color are being failed by the system, the white system, Banksy wrote in a short statement along with the picture on Instagram. Nearly two weeks after the in-custody death of George Floyd, a white police officer in Virginia is facing assault charges after using a stun gun on a black man during a domestic call on Friday. This story includes the police body camera video that captured the incident and a warning. This video is hard to watch and may not be suitable for some viewers. Walk around in the middle of the street, rambling. The video starts with the victim walking circles in the street in the Alexandria area of Fairfax County. Officers and paramedics were responding for a domestic call. You want to go to detox? Yes, yes. All right, you got to get in the ambulance with them if you want to go, go to detox. Go, go, go. About two and a half minutes into the video, from the left side of your screen, you see Officer Tyler Timberlake arrive. He walks straight towards the victim and draws his taser. Is he wanted? You can hear Officer Timberlake talking to the victim by name. Anthony, relax. Fairfax County's police chief acknowledged this. Then Officer Timberlake hits the victim with the taser, and you can hear the officer apply another electric shock as the other officers and paramedics rush in. Late Saturday night, Fairfax County Chief of Police Edwin Rossler saying every officer on this call is now on leave and Officer Timberlake is facing three assault and battery charges. In violation of our use of force policies, and they are criminal acts which violate our oath of office and they ignore the sanctity of human life. The chief says Officer Timberlake escalated this situation which shatters the already damaged trust with law enforcement. I righteously stand with the anger across this country, in this community, because I have righteous anger too. The Chinese health minister is denying his government delayed sharing crucial coronavirus information. The comments are in response to an Associated Press investigation that found the World Health Organization was frustrated by a lack of transparency by Beijing during the early days of the virus outbreak. The director of China's National Health Commission says the AP report, quote, seriously violated the facts. The AP published evidence showing China delayed releasing the genome of the virus for more than a week 
after the data had been fully decoded. A 60-year-old surfer was attacked and killed by a 10-foot shark off the east coast of Australia today. Police say several people tried to help the surfer and fought off the shark before taking the injured man to shore. He was given first aid for his injuries to his left leg but died at the scene. It's the third fatal shark attack in Australia this year. Dramatic scene this afternoon at the Massey Tunnel between Delta and Richmond. A semi-truck caught fire, forcing traffic to be blocked in both directions on Highway 99 for some time. Traffic is still delayed northbound. No word on any injuries or the cause of the fire here. For those hankering for a night at the dance club, we'll show you how a club in Holland is doing it safely. We'll have that right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, take a look at the tornado that touched down in Orlando, Florida yesterday. It damaged homes and properties. The video shows the effects of Tropical Storm Cristobal across the region. The American National Weather Service reported a number of tornadoes warnings in the area so far no reports of injuries that is good news mm -hmm. wow and a quick check on it colleen and a bit of an update it is still continuing to track northward inland over the next 24 hours the big concern for louisiana will still be the threat of tornadoes but it is flooding they've got heavy rain and storm surge so we'll continue to track that as it moves inland it's moving north northward just over louisiana louisiana rather and we are still seeing very windy conditions all right weather picture here at home a very different weather picture we've got some sunshine in the mix we rounded off the weekend with drier conditions. It's still quite windy if you're out and about this evening, especially for areas that are closer to the water. And temperatures, as we get in towards the evening, we do have the potential for uh, gusty winds at times. Here's a quick glance at, as we take a look at our gusts, just over 30 kilometers per hour. Here's a shot this morning, a couple of photos to share. Port Moody, this was taken by John. Most areas near Mission, we have been seeing some ominous looking clouds. It was earlier today. This is a great shot that was taken by Alexandra. And returning from Vancouver Island, Edward managed to capture this great photo here. The winds have ramped up. A quick glance at some of the peaks. So out of the airport, closer to 40 kilometers per hour. Out of the harbor for Victoria, up to 60 in Abbotsford, up to 35 kilometers per hour. We do still have a little bit of instability moving its way across the island with the risk of thunderstorms. We're tracking that lightning right now. Very similar for the interior and it is going to pick up once again. That'll be for the southeastern corners of the province. A bit of a break. We've got a transition day for tomorrow. Partly cloudy with just a chance of showers, a slight chance for the afternoon and early evening. And then late evening and overnight, this is the next weather maker that is going to push in and it'll be rain and heavy heavy at times. Here's a quick glance at what we are seeing. So late evening and overnight, that's the next wave of rain in towards Tuesday. That'll be likely be the wettest so far, and then it should start to taper off. An update on the flood concern from the BC River Forecast Centre. Flood watch for Quinell, that's indicated in orange, and high stream flow advisory for all areas in yellow, and that still stretches in towards the northeastern corners of the province. The northern half along the coast tomorrow will start to see an increase in cloud cover with the chance of showers. The northeastern corners tomorrow with a fair bit of cloud cover, a nice break for the central interior with a mix of sun and cloud, and it's the southeastern corners. The concern tomorrow, risk of a thunderstorm picks up for the afternoon and early evening. Most areas along the Thompson Okanagan will see that chance of showers moving in. It'll be afternoon, and for Whistler tomorrow, still a dry day with a high up to 14 degrees. South coast will start to see more cloud cover rolling in. It'll be late day, and then that rain does move in. It'll be heavy at times late Monday. 
overnight and then through the day on Tuesday. It'll be a touch cooler, so a heads up into early next week. Temperatures will be at 14 degrees. A bit unsettled Wednesday, Thursday. It looks like the nicest day so far will be for tomorrow. Colleen? Okay, thanks so much, Yvonne. Nightclubs here won't open for some time yet, according to Dr. Bonnie Henry. The concern that social distancing just isn't possible. Well, a club in the Netherlands is putting that theory to the test. Dutch youth hit the club Saturday, sort of, in one of the country's first attempts to resume nightlife with social distancing rules still in place. Clubbers booked ahead of time to enjoy short sets of electronic music in the afternoon, rather than at around midnight, as they're used to. And during the sets, they were restricted to their chairs. I think it's your perfect daily dose of music. Like, 20 minutes is enough. Yeah, sure. Uh, it made me happy. Have guests dance five feet apart, but local authorities said they had to sit in the chairs, at least for now. A maximum of 30 guests were allowed in the building at a time. The club plans to expand to 100 in July. And our director just said... It looks like a club at a senior's home. They, yeah. they were looking at me dancing here, so that's that's where they got that from. That's okay. Everyone's seated. You're relaxing. <laughs> still get to enjoy the music. Better than nothing. A different experience. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Barry, what have you got coming up? Well, about a month ago, uh, they were very hopeful over at UBC that they would get some sort of uh, football season in, in Canada West, but it doesn't look like that is going to be the case. So uh, that's unfortunate. Not all U sports are going to be uh, canceled in Canada West, but certainly the ones starting in the fall. So we will uh, tell you what's all affected about that coming up. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. With the worldwide protests over the in-custody death of George Floyd, some are voicing discontent with police, including here in Canada. But many teens and kids have been turning to one Toronto police officer for guidance. As Morgan Campbell reports, he's seen by his community as someone who has walked the walk and talked the talk. Constable Dale Swift is the kind of officer who always goes the extra mile. Arguably, without even knowing it, he's smart, resourceful, and forward-thinking. But more importantly, he's kind. You did everything you possibly can, but you can't, re you can't renew your license if there's no way for you to renew your license. You can see that by the way he interacts with the public. I'm never too old to flirt. <laughs> And trust me when I say, Swift isn't the kind of guy that just turns it on. You got room for one more player? He is genuine, and that's the reason he makes a good community police officer. Growing up in Chester Lee, Swift understands what it is like to be marginalized. Me growing with Toronto Housing, it was significantly hard. There was lots of challenges. I saw everything. I was a part of so much stuff. It's this attitude and openness that over the last decade has helped Swift develop street cred. That's why so many youths have reached out to him, concerned about what happened to George Floyd. It actually really affected me. So setting aside his uniform for a moment, Swifty opened up. The fact remains that what happened there shouldn't have happened. Swift is a proud officer and says over the past days, his pride for the service has grown. This show of respect sparked that growth. Top brass taking a knee in support of the black and indigenous communities. Racism is a human world problem. It affects everybody. As a black person with that tragedy happening, having a louder voice now, you feel like you're going to be finally heard. Swift says he has dedicated his career to bridging gaps. All of us need to just be better versions of ourselves. Morgan Campbell, Global News.
Barry joins us now for a look at sports. Thank you for telling me that the tennis match I was watching this afternoon was not live. Just a few years ago, basically live. It was live at the time. <laughs> No, they're still a couple of months away from tennis, that's for sure. All right, uh, thanks, Colleen. Uh, well, while we have seen a lot of leagues announce plans for a return to play, that will not be the case for Canada West. The University Sports League is expected to announce tomorrow the cancellation of fall sports for 2020, which includes football, soccer, rugby, and field hockey. Sports like ice hockey are hoping for a later start, perhaps January. So for now, they're hopeful to have some kind of reduced season in those sports in Canada West. Theo Bear and his Vancouver Whitecaps teammates are ramping up individual training. Once again, Caps players elected not to train for a few days last week as the MLS and its players uh, worked out a new labor deal. Bear, a 20-year-old from Ottawa, is one of numerous athletes using their voice to speak out and hopefully bring about change following the death of George Floyd. Uh, the First of all, everyone needs to understand that this has been going on for far, far too long. And number two, that equality is is the base almost for everything, and um, it, it it needs to stop now because it's getting it's getting to the point where it's ridiculous. And um, the thing that that needs to continue is, and I'm going to hold myself accountable and everyone else that this can't stop after two months. It has to keep going because until equality is reached, this this isn't a way to live. Honestly, I'm feeling a lot better than uh, than I thought I was, and I I've never been so happy to do fitness. Like, I, obviously, it's hard, and uh, and I'm a little bit like I'm not as fit as I used to be, but I could say. But um, I'm feeling good, and I think that I'll get back back into it really quickly. I'm really happy to be back. NASCAR from Atlanta, the Quick Trip 500 pre-race, a moment of silence for Black Lives Matter movement. It was uh, apparent early in the race that Kevin Harvick in his number four Ford Mustang was going to be very tough to beat. Great pass here to get by Joey Logano to take the lead. Harvick didn't win either of the first two stages, but he did win where it counts at the end. Taking the checkered flag led for almost the entire third stage and was never really challenged. Second win of the season for the 44-year-old, who then holds out three fingers to salute the number three car of the late great Dale Earnhardt, who was a hero of Harvick's. Earnhardt, of course, died back in 2001. Golf is certainly one game where technology has made a huge difference. Graphite shafts, titanium heads on all the drivers, all sorts of science to hit the ball further and straighter. That goes the same for the putters, but chances are your putter collection does not include an offering made by Langley Company Greenwood Golf, which is taking old school to a new level. This is the original one that we found in the garage here. When Joel Lute moved into his new home in Langley, B.C. a year ago, he couldn't have imagined an old golf bag would turn into a new business venture. In the set of clubs was an old putter uh, that was actually wooden. And it was looked like it had been made for a prop um, or a gift for somebody, but not an actual performance piece. Well... His friend Mark Wilson decided to take it to the golf course and test it out. He called me to come out to check it out because he was so excited about it. And lo and behold, uh, we just found that it was so different from a metal putter. So began the development of Greenwood Golf, wooden putters. A feeling of going back in time, but in fact, it might be the first of its kind. If you find putters from like the 50s, 40s and 50s, they'll have a wooden hickory shaft and they'll have a metal blade at the bottom. 
um, and we could never find an actual wooden head putter. It's a regular steel shaft with Australian leather handle. The putter head is one solid piece of wood manufactured in BC. Mark does the hand sanding on it and adding all the components, adding the weight inside the brass pieces um, to finish it off and to give it the proper weight and balance. Greenwood golf putters have a zero degree loft compared to regular putters, which are between two and four degrees. So when you're hitting the ball, the, the ball will actually jump up on the green. We put zero degree loft on this thing and it's incredible because the ball rolls true right off of impact. Herman Weeb has been in the golf industry 45 years. He coached Luton University, so agreed to test it. That's all I use now. It doesn't matter how much technology you put into it, but because this is a solid piece of wood, the feel that you get off of there, that is what I like and that's why I use it. Quinn Phillips, Global Sports. And according to the story, no one ever misses with that putter. But we'll have to tell you, through editing, yes, we just took the good ones. You, you, of course, you're going to miss. But interesting, uh, probably must be a much softer feel than it would be a metal uh, putter blade. So I we'll bet. see how it goes. Maybe I should try it. Time to find out who our BC healthcare hero is. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we are honoring Lianta Now. Lianta Now is a nurse at Victoria General Hospital, and her and her team have been working tirelessly during the pandemic. Lianta also has worked in OR in many other countries throughout her long career, including Malawi, South Africa, and across Canada. She loves joining medical care outreach trips and has helped out in Guatemala. I've got a photo of her as well. And the Central African Republic. She regularly mentors new nursing grads and is part of the BC Perioperative Nurses Association leadership team. Thank you. I've got her photo. I don't know where it's disappeared oh, no. to. I can't, we can't get it. We'll get it next time. Leanta <laughs> and your team at Victoria General Hospital, we're honoring all of you. Yay. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few pictures to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they're your hero. And we will try and get that on for sure. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Yvonne. A Second World War veteran completed a 104-mile cycle for charity to mark the 76th anniversary of the Normandy landing on Saturday. Using a stationary bike, of course, 96-year-old Len Gibbon began cycling on VE Day, May 8th, with the aim of covering the distance across the English Channel from Portsmouth to Gold, Bay in Gold Beach, that is, in France, by D-Day. On a separate occasions, uh, due to social distancing, of course, his friend and fellow Normandy veteran, 95-year-old Peter Hawkins, also took the challenge. And one person gave 500 pounds. Previous photo? The men are residents at Care for Veterans, which provides care and rehabilitation to physically disabled former service personnel and their families. So far, they have raised more than $8,600 on their Just Giving page. 95 years old. I like the fact they're wearing sweaters while they're doing it. You know, <laughs> and slippers. It's nothing. And slippers. Sure, it's a, oh, it's a comfort thing. We hear, there she yes, is. There she is. Yay. This is Leanne now from Victoria General Hospital, so thank you so much. Oh, VGH is such a great hospital, too. Been there way too many times that I can't <laughs> count. That is our news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11. Donna Friesen has the new reality next. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night. <laughs>